Conversations on Healthcare. I'm Mark Misali. And I'm Margaret Flinter. Well, Margaret, here we are on the proverbial dog days of summer, and there are things that are heating up all across the country as it relates to Obamacare. And suffice it to say, Mark, I think it's been heated since day one, even if that was the dead of winter. But there are some serious standoffs that are occurring over state participation in the health care laws insurance mandates. Texas is one of the six states across the nation saying they will not bother enforcing the new federal regulations around the Affordable Care Act. And they join Arizona, Alabama, Missouri, Oklahoma and Wyoming, all of whom have the distinction of having notified the federal government they will not be policing provisions related to the health law which means that the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services will simply have to step in and be the police on the insurance regulations that are laid out in the Affordable Care Act. Of course, these are the states that have opted out of setting up their own insurance exchanges and in some cases refusing to expand Medicaid to include more residents living near the poverty line. So it's very likely to be much more difficult for those residents in states to gain access to health care, which was the purpose of the law. Well, the Lone Star State has shown a particular degree of autonomy, Mark. They're the only state that wasn't required to comply with a federal request for information about their insurance plans. Analysts fear this approach is only going to lead to more confusion for consumers and to put an undue burden on residents already struggling to gain coverage and navigate the exchanges. Well, we knew, Mark, that the rollout of the Affordable Care Act was going to vary from state to state, and this is certainly just more confirmation of uh, what we suspected. But, you know, one fact isn't disputed. The administration is banking on convincing younger, healthier Americans to sign up for the insurance exchange as a way to help even out the burden of bringing in the folks who are a little older, a little sicker into those insurance pools. And there's a campaign underway to get that message out to young Americans now to participate. Our guest today is something of an expert on government policy and how it relates to the millennial generation. Aaron Smith is the co-founder of the Young Invincibles, an advocacy group seeking to impact policy as it relates to the young adult population in all matters of importance, including health care. Aaron will be sharing some interesting statistics about the millennial population and how that generation is poised to impact the rollout of Obamacare. Also, Laurie Robertson checks in from factcheck.org. But no matter what the topic, you can hear all of our shows by Googling CHC Radio. And as always, if you have comments, email us at chcradio.com or find us on Facebook or Twitter because we love hearing from you. We'll get to our interview with Aaron Smith in just a moment. But first, here's our producer, Marianne O'Hare, with this week's headline news. I'm Marianne O'Hare with these healthcare headlines. 50 days and counting to October 1st and the opening of the online insurance exchanges. The Amazon-like insurance marketplaces where millions of Americans will access health insurance coverage. Facilitators are rolling out in a number of ways. The federal government has made funds available to community health centers and other community organizations around the country to train and certify insurance exchange navigators who will assist those seeking to find the appropriate plan for their and their families' needs. Enroll America is a nonprofit organization that is mobilizing volunteer navigators across the country to assist folks with the exchanges. And some insurance companies are actually setting up storefronts where folks can drop in and seek assistance. The administration has been hampered by efforts in the GOP to block any additional funds to facilitate and promote access to the online insurance marketplaces being set up under the Affordable Care Act. 
And once those customers do gain coverage, where will they access their care? There is concern among some that the addition of millions to the health care roles will negatively impact wait times to see primary care practitioners. But as they learned in the state of Massachusetts, many of those newly added patients ended up utilizing community health centers. And the average wait time for primary care practitioners, as well as specialists, increased by only a couple of days. Meanwhile, the online insurance marketplaces are supposed to be up and running for use by October 1st. But the state of Oregon says they're going to be a little late to the table. They're currently testing the user-friendliness and readiness of their online system. Folks seeking to buy health insurance through the exchanges in Oregon will have to do it through trained specialists until the online marketplaces are fully up and running. Although Oregon was early to the bandwagon in terms of supporting the law, their situation reveals a concern throughout the country that the online infrastructure being created to handle the new marketplaces will actually work. Oregon officials say it's going to take a while to debug their system. And when it comes to diagnosing anxiety in kids, trust their gut. A recent study out shows kids who had frequent bouts of stomach upset were often later diagnosed with some sort of anxiety disorder. Up to 25% of children have some kind of abdominal disorder that lands them in the pediatrician's office. But in cases where there was no obvious medical reason for the chronic stomach pain, some sort of anxiety disorder was later diagnosed in over half of those patients. The study appeared in the journal Pediatrics. I'm Ariano O'Hare with these healthcare headlines. We're speaking today with Aaron Smith, co-founder and executive director of the Young Invincibles, an organization dedicated to amplifying the voices of young Americans up to the age 34 in today's most pressing issues, including health care. Mr. Smith has consulted frequently with President Obama and leading members of Congress about critical youth policy issues, including the Affordable Care Act. He's a 2010 cum laude graduate of Georgetown Law Center's frequent contributor to CNN, MSNBC, Politico, and PBS on young adult issues. Aaron, welcome to Conversations on Healthcare. Thanks for having me. You co-founded the Young Invincibles in 2009 in a cafeteria at Georgetown. While still a graduate student, it was in response to President Obama's efforts to craft and pass the Affordable Care Act. So who are the Young Invincibles, and what was it about the health care law that spurred you into political action at that time? Sure. As you said, we're a youth-led uh, nonprofit focusing on expanding the, the voices of young adults around basically the core economic issues affecting our generation, like health care, jobs, uh, access to higher education. And we got started because the health care debate was a perfect example uh, of an issue that has a huge impact on our generation. There's about 19 million uninsured young adults in this country, more than any other demographic. And uh, we just didn't feel like we had much of a voice in the debate and up on Capitol Hill. And so we, we really got organized to provide some of that voice, to think about how policies like staying on your parents' plan uh, up to age 26 would impact our generation. And, and that actually was one of the first big provisions that we fought for. Uh, and now about 3 million young people have health insurance as a result. And obviously, we've got a big opportunity coming up with the health care law to to really get millions more young people access to health coverage. Well, Aaron, we really appreciate your being with us to bring focus to these issues. And I want to take a look at the Affordable Care Act with you um, and specifically how you see it impacting your demographic group, uh, also called the millennials. 
the Obama administration uh, has made it clear since the beginning that if the health care law is going to work the way it's supposed to and expand access while bringing down costs, then we've got to get the younger population, the healthier population, the young invincibles, uh, as you say, uh, and entice them to purchase insurance. But as you've pointed out, college loan debt is at an all-time high. Full-time unemployment eludes many, too many low-wage earners in this age group. You've done a lot of research on the millennials' attitudes towards health insurance. Are they as adverse to the idea of purchasing insurance as some pundits would have us believe? No, actually, uh, young people are very supportive of and understand the importance of buying health coverage. There have been studies that show that when a young worker is offered employer-based coverage, they take that offer at about the same rate, only slightly less than, uh, than older workers. We've done polls of young adults broadly and found, you know, less than 5% who say that they don't need to buy health insurance. So really the, the biggest drivers of the youth insurance rates are cost. Um, this is a very low income population. You know, I mentioned 19 million uninsured young adults. About 17 million of them would qualify for subsidies or Medicaid because their incomes are so low. Uh, this is, you know, working, people working low-wage jobs that don't get benefits uh, working part-time. There's a lot of economic reasons why young people don't have health insurance. And that's really the cost and access issues are really what we're hoping to address through the, the health care law. You know, Aaron, I want to pull the thread a little on the sort of demographics of this population. You've done quite a bit of research uh, on the topic and you've just finished up a 21 uh, city bus tour around the country engaging in many roundtables. So you've noted that there are 19 million young Americans without health insurance. So tell us a little more about the ethnic and racial mix of that population who are uninsured also, tell us a little more about what messaging is really working and how is that message sort of being framed up? Sure. So uh, the lack of insurance, it really disproportionately impacts low-income young people and young people of color. So young Latinos, for example, have about 50% uninsurance rate. For young African-Americans, it's about one out of three are uninsured. So the benefits potentially of the health care law would be huge for those populations. Um Geographically, we also know that there are some states and cities with really high numbers of, of uninsured young adults, um, cities like Los Angeles and Houston and Miami and Chicago and New York. Uh, sort of our big urban areas have really high levels of youth uninsurance rates. As far as the messaging, I think, you know, this this is really not about trying to do a slick marketing campaign. It's really about the, the numbers and the facts. I mean, when we, we've been going out and doing presentations all across the country and talking to young people about it, you know, they want to know how much is this going to cost? What is it going to cover? How do I sign up? And we're starting now to be able to have some really clear details for them. So we can say, you know, if you are a 20-year-old and you make $20,000 in California, you can buy an insurance plan through the exchange for 40 bucks a month. That's because of the subsidies. Um, now all of a sudden becomes real. It's a real economic choice. You know, some some young people are going to say, wow, 40 bucks a month is a pretty good deal for decent health insurance. Actually, it was going to cover me when I get sick. You know, others are going to make a different decision, but they have to have those facts to make the smart decision. And we think about how often young people actually go to the emergency room. You know, all these young people are uninsured. They do get sick. They do need care. Uh, and right now what happens is 
they hold off often too long. And then when they do get hurt or sick, they have to go to the emergency room. Um, and oftentimes that care is uncompensated. So in the long run, it's better for everyone to be covered. And, and that's another message that we're talking sort of this, this idea of responsibility. Um, one line that I've heard that I think is great is, you know, I didn't really feel like I was an adult until I had health insurance. I think that's a pretty powerful idea. Well, I agree with you. And I want to uh, push a little deeper then into maybe the health piece of the health insurance equation. So we know that a tremendous number of people, young adults, are already benefiting from the Affordable Care Act. I think some two and a half million, right, young adults who've uh, opted to stay on their parents' health insurance. Uh, certainly with that coverage, they have access to preventive health care, routine health care, not just uh, sick care. But the question is, do young people see the benefits of this in terms of their health? And you alluded to that a little bit, that they're beginning to maybe recognize emergency room, not the best place to maybe maintain your health. But, you know, from where we sit uh, in Young Invincible almost sounds like the wrong term sometimes when I look at the rising rates of obesity, unhealthy behaviors. What's your insight about the health of this population and the degree to which people feel like having insurance is going to help them actually take better care of themselves? There are a couple things I'd say. One is there's actually been some research that's already shown that having more young people on their parents' plan, that three million number, more young people are accessing sort of critical health care services that are now being covered, uh, like mental health services. And that's exactly what you would want to see, that people get health care coverage and then they're able to get mental health services or substance abuse services or prenatal care, um, things that are going to lead to long-term health. We know that you know, young people have about about 15% of young adults have some sort of chronic condition. And so treatment for those things is, is going to be key. You know, there's been a lot of discussion about the free preventive care, which would include free birth control with no co-pays. That's a huge win, particularly for young women. And I think that's something that we're going to be talking about a lot um, as well. So it, it doesn't just stop with coverage. I think that's an important point. Everyone sort of focuses on signing people up. But the long-term goal here is you know, to, to educate young people so that they actually know how to use their health insurance and sort of the long-term benefits they'll see for their health as a result. We're speaking today with Aaron Smith, co-founder and executive director of the Young Invincibles, an organization dedicated to amplifying the voices of young Americans up to age 34 in today's most pressing issues, including health care. Mr. Smith has consulted frequently with President Obama and leading members of Congress about critical youth policy issues, including the passage of the Affordable Care Act. Aaron, I want to sort of figure out what we can learn from other campaigns and uh, also from the Massachusetts experience. So first on the Massachusetts experience, it turned out that there was a catastrophic plan that was offered by the state that uh, young people embraced in large numbers. But I do want to also ask you to think about and share with our listeners the campaign that's going on right now. We sort of learned from the Massachusetts experience. You have a campaign going on. The president clearly has a campaign going on. So a lot in that question, uh, but see if you can pull the thread together for us. The Healthy Young America campaign is really about reaching and uh, providing all the information that young people need, particularly uninsured young adults, to make a smart decision about their health insurance and to understand what their new options are going to look like. And we've learned a lot from the Massachusetts example. Um, so Massachusetts is probably the best best case of what health care reform could look like. And what we saw in Massachusetts was that uninsurance rates for young adults dropped from about 25% to about 5% in 
in five years. So a truly dramatic reduction uh, in uninsurance rates. And part of that's because of all the reasons that, that uh, we we think the healthcare law could work is you've got more affordable options. You have a competitive marketplace. You do have some high deductible plans. In Massachusetts, you had a young adult plan, it was called, that had a slightly higher deductible and a slightly lower premium to targeted for young people. That was very popular. We have a similar plan on the federal market called the catastrophic plan, which will also have a very high deductible and will be slightly lower cost. You know, a big part of this picture also is Medicaid expansion. So of the 19 million uninsured young adults, a huge number make under are single adults who make under $15,000 a year. Many of them, and that would basically qualify for them for Medicaid uh, in states that expand. And we know many states are and many states aren't. And then we also know what happens with the mandate. So the Massachusetts, they had a penalty in year one for the, the national law. The penalty is only about $95, but it goes up quickly after that to be very similar to the Massachusetts penalty. In, in Massachusetts, we saw you know, less than 2% of the population actually taking paying the fine. So either they were getting coverage or there's a lot of people who will actually not have to pay the fine because they're so low income and there's exception in the national law so that if insurance is too expensive, if you're too low income, the penalty will actually not apply to you. Well, Aaron, you've uh, talked about the huge number of young people in Massachusetts who came into the system as a result of the law there. And, and that makes me think of, uh, you know, the impact whenever there's a large influx of a new group of people into any system, it changes it, right? Whether it's education yep. or culture or anything else. So I want to talk maybe just a, for a moment about the delivery system and the impact or the potential impact that you see, again, based on your close connection with this group and all of the conversations you're holding on how this group is likely to change the way healthcare is actually delivered. Uh, if you know, you think of a generation that grew up texting their questions, going online for information, communicating with, yeah, going in and sitting in the office, you know, with the standard exam room and chair and having a face-to-face conversation may not be exactly how people think they're likely to want to get their health care. What are you seeing there? What are you hearing from people about how they want to actually get their health care once they're insured? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. So we've been experimenting a little bit. We we developed a mobile application to healthcare uh, education app for young people that actually connects young people to community clinics and to local providers. And, you know, I think community clinics, um, your local pharmacy are going to continue to be places that a lot of young people are looking for, for care. And that those are some of the places that young people have been going um, for years, even when they didn't have health insurance. There has been more funding for community clinics and community health centers, but um, there is going to be certainly more people coming in to that system, um, and there's going to be a demand for providers to uh, to take that. I think there's been a tremendous amount of interest in technology and new kinds of healthcare technologies that can that that are tailored for sort of young tech savvy consumers. We're seeing a lot of a lot of mobile apps, things that help you better navigate the health insurance system, um, things that help you better track your health care. And I've seen a lot of interest in in things like that as well. But part of it is, you know, in some ways, young people just sort of been left out of the traditional health care system for so long. And there's going to have to be some 
sort of getting used to process that happens, you know, where it's just as simple as, you know, have you, do you have a primary care doctor? You know, those kinds of basic things are going to have to start happening and it'll be very interesting to see sort of how the broader healthcare community responds to that. Well, they uh, certainly will have a profound impact on technology. Their uh, generation is known as digital uh, natives. Uh, and I would imagine they'll start to change the arc of the healthcare community in terms of how it reaches and communicates and delivers care. You know, we're we're just a few weeks away from when colleges and universities all across the country come back into session, and uh, and then a few weeks out from October first when the kickoff for uh, signing up the Affordable Care Act uh, begins. So tell us about what is brewing on college campuses, how you expect to utilize the energy of the millions and millions of, uh, of both insured and uninsured students who, who are going to be interested in this understanding. While some may have coverage, their uh, friends and uh, classmates don't, how is your group going to capture that energy? You know, it's going to be it's going to be exciting. Um there are, as, as, as many folks know, most traditional sort of four-year college students are actually on their parents' plan. So, um, you know, about about two-thirds of college students are on their parents' plan. Then there's a sizable number of young people who are on student health plans. And actually, as part of the, the law, student health plans have, have had to improve dramatically. So they've had to eliminate things like benefit caps, um, different kinds of exclusions. They have to do things like provide birth control with no co-pays. So student, a lot of students are going to start seeing those benefits. And then, obviously, there's a lot of students who are still uninsured. And we see it particularly at community colleges. Many community colleges don't have student plans, and they don't actually require you to have health insurance. And we've seen a lot of interest from student health centers um, and from schools themselves about how to inform their student body about uh, their new health insurance options. We're going to be out on a lot of campuses all across the country doing events and sort of student town halls, just educating people. And um, by October 1st, as you said, when enrollment starts, hopefully we can turn that and actually start signing people up for health insurance. Uh, in some states, we're going to be, young individuals will be navigators, actually. So actually um, helping people walk through the process of signing up for health insurance. Well, Aaron, we've kept you pretty focused on health, health care and health insurance. But I know uh, from your website and from looking at your work that Young Invincibles is committed to the broader set of social issues that affect your generation. And we know that when it comes to health, the social determinants of health are certainly uh, perhaps the biggest impact uh, that we see on overall health. So we'd like to give you a moment to talk about the other large issues that you're going to be addressing in the next couple of years. We know you're not a single uh, issue organization, so we'd like you to have a chance to talk about those, those other key issues affecting your generation. It's important to point that point out that all these, so many of these economic issues are interconnected. Um, you know, we've seen, for example, there's evidence that a lack of health insurance is one of the reasons why many young people drop out of college um, because of medical bills and um, just sort of the pressure of dealing with the healthcare system. You know, we do a great deal of work around higher education access, the cost of it, higher education, student loan debt is been a huge, you probably heard about the recent student loan interest rate um, debate that was going on in Congress. We were very involved in that. And so what we're looking to do on the higher ed side is really um, 
inform and work with student leaders across the country to be a part of higher education reform debates because that system is just so badly in need of reform, not just on the cost side, but on the outcome side and, and on you know, the other part of what we do, which is jobs and making sure that we're connecting education to the workforce so that um, young, young adults have about a 16% uh, unemployment rate, uh, so twice the national average. Um, and it's much, much worse, actually, for the majority of young people who don't graduate with a four-year degree. Um, we need to create those pathways for uh, young people to get ahead and, and to move forward in their sort of economic futures. And so it's actually been great to work on those these three sort of issues, healthcare, jobs, and education, because we see how closely they are connected. And for, um, you know, many of our partners, it's nice to be able to work on healthcare and then, you know, also transition to be talking about financial aid and also transition to talking about job training programs. Um, and so we're going to be working on all those uh, issues in the in the years ahead. We've been speaking today with Aaron Smith, co-founder and executive director of Young Invincibles, an organization dedicated to amplifying the voices of young Americans up to age 34 in today's most pressing issues, including healthcare. You can find out more about his work by going to younginvincibles.org. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us on Conversations on Healthcare today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Conversations on Healthcare, we want our audience to be truly in the know when it comes to the facts about healthcare reform and policy. Lori Robertson is an award-winning journalist and managing editor of FactCheck.org, a nonpartisan, nonprofit consumer advocate for voters that aim to reduce the level of deception in U.S. politics. Lori, what have you got for us this week? Well, some Republicans have taken to claiming that millions of Americans can only find part-time jobs because of Obamacare. The Republican National Committee claimed that the number was 8.2 million who can't find full-time jobs, quote, partly due to Obamacare. The RNC included that claim in a long list of figures it called Obamacare by the numbers. But the 8.2 million figure is the total number of part-time workers in the U.S. seeking full-time jobs. That's the June total from the Bureau of Labor Statistics for those working part-time for economic reasons, either because they couldn't find a full-time job or because their hours had been cut. Clearly not everyone in that situation is there partly due to the federal health care law. And there hasn't been an increase in that category of workers since the law was enacted in March 2010. In fact, the number has gone down from 9.1 million that month to the 8.2 million currently. What did cause the part-time for economic reasons numbers to skyrocket was the recession. The total went from 4.8 million in January 2008 to 8 million in December of that year. It's certainly possible that some part-timers recently had their hours cut by employers concerned about the law, but we don't know how many that might be. There's no evidence from the Bureau of Labor Statistics numbers that the law has had an impact. And that's my fact check for this week. I'm Lori Robertson, managing editor of factcheck.org. Factcheck.org is committed to factual accuracy from the country's major political players and is a project of the Annenberg Public Policy Center at the University of Pennsylvania. If you have a fact that you'd like checked, email us at chcradio.com. We'll have factcheck.org's Lori Robertson check it out for you here on Conversations on Healthcare. Each week, 
Conversations highlights a bright idea about how to make wellness a part of our communities and everyday lives. It's every working parent's nagging fear. What happens if your child comes down with an illness while you're at work and they're at daycare? A pilot program in Rochester, New York, offers a glimpse into what could be a promising solution, telemedicine. The federally funded grant between the University of Rochester Medical Center and several urban daycare centers equipped the daycare centers with diagnostic peripherals that could be attached to their cell phones and images sent to the pediatric clinic via the Internet. Usually when a child exhibits signs of a sore throat, ear infection, or pink eye, the parents are immediately called, meaning the parents have to leave work and the child taken to a doctor's office. These daycare workers still call the parent, but the next call is to the doctor's office for a live visit via teleconferencing. Our telemedicine program is designed to make it easy for your child to be seen for an illness by one of our regular doctors. Most common problems can be cared for this way. Daycare workers are trained to utilize diagnostic tools like the otoscope, the tool used to examine the ears. The image is transmitted to the clinician via the Internet, and a diagnosis is made. In many cases, the telemedicine visit was sufficient for a clinician to diagnose a child's problem and recommending a treatment course. The statistics are also compelling. Working parents were able to retain four and a half hours of working time, and the children's absenteeism was reduced by 63%. The pilot program has been so successful that local insurance companies are now getting on board with covering these telemedicine visits. It's simple economics. A trip to the emergency room costs insurance companies a lot more than a teleconference visit. And parents have peace of mind that their child's health needs are being adequately addressed. The program is already being rolled out in other daycare centers in the region and could provide an excellent model for daycare centers around the country. A safe, simple telemedicine solution to a logistics problem facing millions of working parents whose kids fall ill while at daycare. Now that's a bright idea. This is Conversations on Healthcare. I'm Margaret Flinter. And I'm Mark Maselli. Peace and health. Conversations on Healthcare broadcast from the campus of WESU at Wesleyan University, streaming live at WESUFM.org, and brought to you by the Community Health Center.